Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. I'm also joined by Allison Hayes from ABC 57. She'll join me for the 5 o'clock hour, and we welcome you to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. It is eight minutes after 5 o'clock on this Tuesday, January the 16th of 2024. We are on the air for a full two hours tonight, and coming up in the 6 o'clock hour, a longtime friend of mine, former South Bend Silverhawk manager, and now in charge of the South Bend Cubs Performance Center, Mark Haley is going to join me to talk about Cubs broadcaster Ron Coomer coming to the Performance Center. And he's going to talk some baseball. Tickets are on sale. We'll give you all the details on the Cub broadcaster coming to South Bend when Mark joins me right around 6.05. And then right around 6.30, we'll talk Notre Dame football recruiting our normal Tuesday visit with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Mike Singer. We'll have some sports wagering talk at the end of the hour. And then at 7 o'clock, it is the Notre Dame kind of radio podcast show. It is Wake Up the Echoes, an interview show that comes your way from 7 to 8 here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well... If you're not in the South Bend area, if you are tuning in in a very warm part of the country, <laughs> we'd like to be with you right now because I think it's about three degrees in South Bend. Last time I looked and it feels like minus 14. And this is one of those days, why do we not live where it's really, really warm? <laughs> but here we are in South Bend and... I guess we should be used to it by now, Allison. I am T-minus 10 days away from going to Jamaica, and that's about minus 10 is about what it's been feeling like around here. So I, I, my countdown is on, and I cannot wait. Jamaica, huh? Yes. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, I'm on. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You've got the lingo all ready to go. I'm, of course, you're there on, on a business trip. Oh, no. This is totally oh, – okay. this is for my birthday. Oh, no nice. kids. We are going to have a good time. We need that? it. Yes. Very, very nice. <laughs> very nice. Well, that's 10 days away. So probably about nine days from now, it'll warm up to 60. Yeah, right. <laughs> just, in, just in time for you to leave. All right. Well, we're going to talk about some various topics here in the five o'clock hour. Before we get to our hat trick of opening topics, the Fighting Irish football team picked up another verbal commitment for the 25 class, and his name is Coho. Kia, that's K-O apostrophe O, Koho Kia. He is a linebacker from Hawaii, same high school as Notre Dame legendary linebacker Manti Teo. He is the 14th commitment already for Notre Dame in the class of 2025. 
a complete interview with Mike Singer from Blue and Gold Illustrated coming up next hour. But Mike and Blue and Gold's Tim Hyde had a live video stream conversation this afternoon on Coho Key. And I want to bring you just a couple of minutes of their thoughts on what the Irish are getting from this young man from the islands, Coho Kia. Coho Kia uh, from uh, Punahou High School in Honolulu, um, listed at 6'2", 190 pounds, currently a three-star across the board, folks. But I'm telling you, these 2025 rankings, throw them out right now. They're, it's so early in the cycle, and I think it, in February or so, you'll see more of the rankings updates for the 25 cycle from Junior Film, with those guys being more focused on the 2024 class with signing day. Um, around the corner so that's the commitment ko kia um six pounds that last name might sound familiar he's the younger brother of kahanu kia who signed with the notre dame um, fighting Irish in the 2021 class um and then took a two-year mission so it's interesting tim uh kahanu came back from his mission the weekend of uh, january 12th and ko went with his family to visit notre dame for the for their first recruiting trip, he had been to Notre Dame with his brother when he was a recruit. Uh, and uh, yeah, so Notre Dame um, continuing like a brother pipeline that they've had over the years. And uh, and it, it, he's a good football player, Tim. Uh, what do you think about Kaoki? Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. I, I'll tell you what, man. He, he's one of my favorite players to watch in this class. He, you pop on his field and you're just like smiles. Cause you just see the energy he plays with the relentlessness he plays with. He's a passionate football player. And I, I love it because I could see him already in Notre Dame. I could see the energy that he's going to play with on Saturdays and he's a lot of fun. Where does he play? Hey, I I've said it. I, I feel like with three quarters of these guys, Marcus Freeman has signed the last two years, who cares? Bring yeah. him in, find a spot for him. Cause he's an athlete. He's a versatile football player. Is he an outside backer? Can he grow into a will? He'll probably end up being a, a will type of a football player. He is, he knows how to find the football. He's got amazing ball skills on just breaking through tackles. The more you watch this film, there's so many exciting things that pop off to him. And you see the offers that he got going back to his rankings, which once again, it's like, just watch the film. It's like, this guy is a heck of a football player. He's without a doubt going to be a blue chip. He comes from one of the best high schools in Hawaii, elite competition at that level. And obviously there's a gentleman named Manti Teo that came from this high school. So uh, Kia, I, I love him. I, I really do. I think he's just going to be an energizer bunny. Mike Singer and Tim Hyde from Blue and Gold Illustrated, their analysis on Koho Kia, the latest Notre Dame football commitment in the 25 class. Read more about it at blueandgold.com. And then in the 6 o'clock hour, Mike is back to talk all things Notre Dame football recruiting, including a little more of his insight on Koho Kia, the latest member of the class of 2025. All right, Allison, let's get to our hat trick of opening topics here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. We've got a little bit of a basketball theme for two of the three topics today. We'll start with Micah Shrewsbury and the Fighting Irish basketball team playing one of those tough Saturday-Monday rotations in the ACC schedule. They lost to Florida State at home on Saturday, hopped on the plane for Boston Sunday and played last night in Chestnut Hill against a Boston College team that was just 1-4 in, 
in the ACC. And it kind of feels like a broken record. The Irish got off to a good start in the first half. They built a nice lead. They had a nice rhythm on offense. The defense was playing very, very well. And then BC pushes back in the second half. You got a tie game at 57 with three minutes to go. And this is where that repetitive conversation happens. Notre Dame could not close out the game. In fact, they scored only two points in the final three minutes of the ball game to lose 63-59. And I know we all agree this is a rebuilding year. I think most of us had low expectations. And if they impressed us more than we thought, you know, great. But this is just a bunch of guys brought together by Micah to form a team. And they've surprised us at times. But there's been some frustrating moments, Allison. And this is just one of those moments where BC's not a wonderful team. They're solid with the Quinton Post kid, the seven-footer who shoots threes. But even with a roster thrown together by Micah over the summer, that's a game it just feels like if you execute average in the final three minutes, they win the game. Yeah, that's an ACC game that they they desperately needed to win one of those because they're going to play some really quality teams that you expect them to lose to. But when you got a team like BC, you had an opportunity there to take advantage and get a, a, a win. It's just, I think, a, a combination of things. But, you know, that inexperience is yeah. they're just – and then other teams are making better adjustments at halftime. I mean, Marcus Burton, the freshman from Penn, he was great in the first half. He had 15 points. He was 7 of 11 shooting. And then he ended up finishing out with 19 points. In that second half, they keyed in on him. And they said, okay, we're going to stop him. Somebody else beat us. And nobody else could beat him. And and I think that's – I read an article from Tom Noy, and his argument was that was a mistake – in the building process, not having getting somebody from the transfer portal with a more experience that could take some of that pressure off of Marcus. It, it was he's a true freshman, and you're putting the weight of the entire team on Marcus Burton to, to carry everything. And it, he really could use someone, just a one A one B, or somebody else that he can go to if he's if he's slow or he's having a down game or they're double teaming, triple teaming him. That someone else can get involved and help take some of that off of him. I like his thought, but does Tom have a list of players they could have brought in? Right, exactly. I mean, I'm sure Micah tried right. the best he could to put together the best team possible. So, I mean, sure, we all wish they had a couple of more scores, but right. he got who he got. And I think he's a pretty good guy in analyzing talent from what I have seen. And so, again, I just like to see the list of players that Notre Dame should have got. Allegedly. And literally, they have five walk-ons on the team right now, and they're getting playing time. And that tells you how desperate they are for just bodies, warm bodies to get in off of the bench to give some of their guys a little bit of a break. And it's just tough. Kerry Booth, he had a chance. I mean, as, as bad as they played really in that second half, they still had a chance to take a lead with 10 seconds to go. And he misses, and that's a freshman, but he misses the three-pointer, and, and that's tough, you know. But those are – that all kind of comes with that experience. They're not – they're kind of a live-and-die-by-the-three kind of team, too. If th- That defense is the bread and butter. And when they're hitting good on threes, great. If they're not hitting good, then, you know, you're going to be in trouble, especially if you're relying on that to win the game for you. I and mean, if you had a wish list, I almost – 
wish there would have been a way to bring in a veteran point guard to go along with Burton. Yes. Because in the final 230, some inexperience showed once again. In the final 230 of the game, these were the Notre Dame possessions. Again, the game was 57-57 with three minutes to go. Marcus Burton, turnover. Marcus Burton, one and one at the free throw line, missed the free throw. Marcus Burton, turnover. J.R. Konezny, charge. Marcus Burton, layup, missed the free throw, but Booth got the offensive rebound. Booth missed the three with 7.9 seconds left, and then the desperation three by Shrewsbury at the end of the game was blocked, and Notre Dame walked away with two points in the final three minutes of the ball game. And it's not like BC tore it up. They outscored the Irish 6-2 in the final three minutes. So this is one of those games I don't want to be disrespectful for BC, but Notre Dame lost it more than BC won it. Right. And that's just the mistakes coming down the stretch Again, put Notre Dame in a a very difficult position and just not able to pull it out. Well, and you mentioned the turnover factor. They had four turnovers in the first half. In that second half, Notre Dame had 10 turnovers and and very costly ones in those final minutes. You almost get the feeling Marcus feels like he's got to do a little extra because coming down the stretch of games, he really forces it sometimes on the edge of being out of control and turns it over. But I do understand he's trying to make things happen. He's trying to get to the bucket. If he gets into the lane and there's no space, he's really good at kicking the ball off to the wing. I wouldn't be shocked if you've got a really good point guard on the other team. If you start just putting that guy on Burton and you keep guarding everybody else and not let Marcus pass when he gets in the lane – force him to put up a shot in the lane against some tall timber. I think NC State did that a little bit and was successful against the Irish. That Quinton Post kid who the NBA scouts were there to watch, the BC seven-footer, had a wide-open three to put BC up 60-57 with 49 seconds left. So that goes into the category of a missed assignment on defense as he was left wide open. And then the next possession, Konezny called for the charge and – just wasn't going to happen for the Irish. I have not read more into this, but I guess Micah, after the game, felt like Marcus Burton wasn't officiated properly. And, and I, I got to admit, watching the game, I didn't pick that up. Not saying it didn't happen, but it just, I didn't notice it watching the game. Now, I'll be honest, I was in a two-TV mode in the in the man cave. <laughs> I had the the Bills, Steelers, and Bucks, Eagles on the big TV and the Irish on the other TV, but again, just randomly going back and forth. I didn't pick up that they were calling things unfairly against Burton. Maybe they were calling or letting them play, allowing BC to be physical against him. That's my best guess. Well, I think one thing that we've kind of discovered with Micah as he's new and we're getting to know him, uh, which to his credit, I mean, I I like it. I mm-hmm. appreciate it about him. He he seems very mild mannered until he is fired up and that switch turns and he will say exactly what's on his mind and doesn't hold back the punches. And I think it's been pretty cool at times and sometimes maybe a little unnecessary. But I mean, he was very vocal too about the ACC score or uh, scheduling them two games in three days. He was very upset about that. And he said, I don't think anybody else in the ACC has this going on in their schedule. And so he, that was the, after the Florida state game. So, uh, but yeah, I think we're going to, we're going to see these guys kind of work through that. I think the stuff that we're seeing with Marcus now, 
where he is trying to do everything and he's he wants to be the guy and he wants to make that final shot. I think when he's not a freshman and maybe sophomore, even junior year, that's when all of this is going to pay off for him, though. You Let's know, hope so. so if he stays and everything goes okay, I, I do think that that experience missing those shots right now hopefully leads him to making those shots in a couple years. Micah doesn't do the road radio interviews after the game like Mike Bray did. So normally we had his post-game interview to play back the following day, but Micah does not do it on the road like Coach Bray. That's the way he's doing it. But at home, they still have that conversation after the game. And I'd really like to know what the BC students said to Micah leaving the floor at halftime as Mike was heading down the tunnel. A fan said something. He stopped and had a quick conversation with the young man. He had a smile on his face, so whatever he said, I'm sure he was being quite clever, but <laughs> the ESPNU cameras picked that up that Micah heard something that kind of burned the ears and had something to say to the Eagle student near the Irish Tunnel. A little bit of a layoff now for the Irish basketball team. They do not play for eight more days. They don't play until Wednesday the 24th in a rematch against a team that they lost to in the first ACC game of the year back in December. The Miami Hurricanes, who made the Final Four last year, but not the same team this year. They are struggling. So, Irish lose 63-59. to Topic number two tonight to kick off tonight's program, the NFL playoffs. You had the Bills taking down the Steelers. The Buccaneers ended up routing the Eagles last night. So, from Monday's NFL wildcard results, what was the most, quote-unquote, interesting result for you? For me, it was just the, the storyline with the Eagles and the Bucks, and just the dismal end to their season for Philly. My goodness. Starting out 10-1 and one and then finishing out losing six of seven games. Uh, and they came in as the road favorite. And they're nine and eight all time against the Bucks. So I, I mean, they they had every opportunity that they should have been the guys to come away with a win, and just were terrible on third and fourth down. They went 0 for 11 mm. on those, and, and that's actually the first team to not convert uh, in, on third and fourth down in the playoffs since 1988. Isn't that wild? I mean, wow. what a stat to throw out. And um, but. To see Hertz play the way that he did and just so much pressure on him. They sacked him three times. They they were knocking him around, getting after him. He got hit six times in the game. They just that defense looked good. And the Eagles just looked like a team that did didn't doesn't really know, I think, who they are right now. The defense did not play well. The secondary was really missing tackles and then they could no run game whatsoever and they wanted to pride themselves on kind of winning it in the trenches on the o-line and d-line and just they couldn't get anything going it sure seems like there's some issues in the eagles locker room dallas goddard had some choice words to quarterback jalen hurts there have been reports that a.j brown has not been happy the eagles wide receiver from 10 and 1 to this yeah a stunning end and for all the talk about the two teams in the NFC East, the Cowboys and the Eagles, well, they are gone in the wild card round. And for me, the most interesting result besides the Eagles' collapse is the fact that good old Baker Mayfield, who yes. seemed like he was done as an NFL starting quarterback, the Buccaneers were $80 million over the cap after last season. They were in a very difficult spot. 
So, to replace Tom Brady, they had to basically find a cheap quarterback. They had to find a quarterback that was willing to take the little money that they had to be their starting quarterback. Baker Mayfield accepted And you wonder if this could be a game-changing season for Mayfield, the former number one pick of the Browns. Didn't work out there, bounced around, ended last year with the L.A. Rams as a backup. And you look at what he accomplished, 28 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and completed 64% of his throws for 4,000 yards for Tampa Bay this year. And when the lights were brightest last night, 22 of 36, three touchdown passes, no interceptions, and he did it with some ribs that weren't feeling that great from an injury from a couple of weeks ago. So here's good old Baker Mayfield, just when you thought maybe he was done. I would call it a breakout 2023 campaign. He wins a playoff game. He's now one of five NFL quarterbacks to win playoff games with two different teams. Wow. So he is in an elite category Tom Brady and Peyton Manning are on that list. They are two of the five. But make Baker Mayfield has added his name to the list. And now you got the old Buccaneers and the Lions meeting in the divisional round. Jared Goff against Baker Mayfield. Two guys that weren't wanted by their original teams. And here they are in their new homes having success and are two wins away from going to the Super Bowl. I, I fully admit when... I used to not like Baker Mayfield at all in college until I watched a college game day story about him and how he ended up walking on and and he he turned down offers the other places and, and walked on. And I thought, wow, I mean, he really wanted to prove himself and that's all he keeps doing. And I have so much respect for him now. I mean, he 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 was cocky back in the day. And uh, but man, I love to see him play so well. And you had a great kind of trivia question there. You threw out with the five uh, five quarterbacks with a. Uh, playoff wins for two different teams another good one he joins Tom Brady as the only Tampa Bay quarterback with 300 yards or more in a playoff game Baker finished with 337 yards in the game last night so only him and Tom Brady have ever thrown for 300 yards in a playoff game really yeah how about that (laughs) I love the stat from over the weekend with the Packers beating the Cowboys at AT AT&T Stadium. In that stadium's history, the Cowboys have two playoff wins. The Packers have three. Wow. How about them, Cowboys? (laughs) All right, third and final hat trick of opening topics. Allison Hayes from ABC 57. I'm Darren Pritchett. We go back to college basketball. And tonight down in Bloomington, it is the Hoosier State rivalry matchup. Number two, Purdue visiting Indiana. So I put together five questions surrounding this matchup in Bloomington. Let me start with this. Since you are a former sideline reporter on the Big Ten Network, and I do some play-by-play, I'll ask the question this way. Where would you rather be a sideline reporter or a play-by-play broadcaster at the Assembly Hall or Mackey Arena? I have done games at both for BTN and hands down without a doubt. 
Assembly Hall. There is nothing like it. I mean, Mackie's great, and, and they got, I love the dark black feel that's in there. But man, Assembly Hall is rocking. Even on games that weren't that big of a deal, that place is so intense and so steep, and it goes so high. If you've never been, even if you don't like Indiana, it, it should be on your bucket list of, of venues to go and be. I have goosebumps right now, literally, as I'm just wow. talking about it. It's so loud. It's so cool. It's just so old school feeling in there. It, it's so intense. I mean, that's, I just, uh, goosebumps again just got me. So much fun. I loved it. Hmm. Okay. I've only been to the assembly hall once. It was for a graduation. And I've been to Mackey Arena for a game. And I just absolutely fell in love with how the Mackey fans are on top of the court. And it gets so loud in there. So I got to admit, haven't been to the assembly hall for a game. But I like the arenas that are small, tight, everything's on top of the court. Absolutely love Mackey Arena, and one of my all-time favorites was the late, great Larry Clisby, the former voice of the Boilermakers. My goodness, that guy has been a killer in there. We loved the Clis when he would come to South Bend. He was on the show five or six times, so I kind of adopted Purdue as my second team because I admired Larry Clisby, and I loved Gene Cady as a young man we had him on the show a couple of years ago it was right when COVID was hitting during the big 10 tournament we had him on and it was one of the thrills of a lifetime so i'm leaning toward good old mac urian as the place i'd like to do a play-by-play matchup of indiana purdue choice number two who is your favorite all-time player for purdue and then we'll pick indiana so boilermakers first well i should say and this will date me but uh, so from when I was covering them regularly in the Big Ten. I really enjoyed talking with Caleb Swanigan, hmm. and and uh, it, he was just such a good, gentle giant. You know, I mean, he was huge, and a former Indiana Mr. Basketball, Big Ten Player of the Year, an All-American. I, he was just, in his backstory and all that he had gone through, yeah. he was just someone I really enjoyed talking with and getting to know but but all time I mean he's not the greatest all time right I mean if I'm if I'm if you're looking back at the history of Purdue basketball how do you not pick the big dog Glenn <laughs> Glenn Robinson oh my gosh I mean that he was so good he and I was looking up some stats just to kind of take me back and and uh I mean he finishes his career with more than a thousand points, more than 500 rebounds, more than 100 steals, 100 assists and 50 blocks he was unbelievable. He was so good and just so tough and intimidating. My choice, again, like you, not an elite player, but you take a look at the all-time Purdue record books. He is 11th all-time in scoring. And I absolutely admired watching Robbie Hummel play for uh, the Boilermakers. For sure. Dealing with all the injuries, continue to come back. And just was one of those guys that gave you a little bit of everything. Offense, rebounding, defended, handled the basketball well. I just always appreciated Robbie Hummel. And now he's turned into absolutely one of the best college basketball analysts. I'm thrilled. He's covering Big Ten games. Does a tremendous job covering college basketball and I tell you what he was awfully good as a college basketball player but he might be better as an analyst I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say the same thing I've really enjoyed him making that transition and you know sometimes we see former players 
make their way onto the, that role and it's like, you know, you kind of think, oh, they just got it because they're a former player. He's fantastic. He's been great and he's been great to watch him improve there as well. And he kind of takes, I think, you know, that job the same way he approached the way he played basketball, right? It was just, just really intelligent and he takes it very seriously and he it just adds so much to a broadcast. Agreed. All right. Now your favorite all-time player for the Indiana Ball Club. Okay, I'm going to kind of do the same thing just because uh, it was back when I was really covering them. They had such a good run um, that 2016 year when uh, Yogi Ferrell was a senior. I got to be <laughs> – I was right there with Tom Crean in the locker room in Iowa when they officially clinched the Big Ten uh, title outright. And uh, I was on the road with them for the big or the NCAA tournament. So I really enjoyed Yogi and that spark that he just had and the, the bow and arrow and his family up in the stands. I had a lot of fun. But, of course, if you're talking about the all-time greatest – IU player, for me anyways, Isaiah Thomas. There were okay. some good ones. Steve Alford, Damon Bailey, I loved all those guys. Also, I really didn't realize how good Mike Woodson back was back in the day, their current coach. But Isaiah Thomas, man, he was so good. And he kind of changed the way that Bobby Knight coached, I read, because of their, their personalities and the way they interacted together and just the respect that Bobby Knight had for Isaiah, which I thought that was interesting. If you can change... Bob Knight in any way at all, that says an awful lot about you and the player that he was. I liked, I mean, he was, you know, one of the bad boys with uh, Detroit, too. So I, I just always really enjoyed watching Isaiah. Allison, I grew up an hour and 30 minutes from Champaign-Urbana. And Illinois fans and Indiana fans don't get along <laughs> too well, to say the least. So as a diehard I refuse to answer this question <laughs> because there is no all-time favorite Indiana basketball player. See, the truth comes out why you don't <laughs> like Assembly Hall and why no, no. you like Mackey Arena better. No, no, no. I have never had the chance to go to the Assembly Hall. I bought a ticket to go watch the 05 Illinois team that was number one in the country down at Purdue, and that's why I've been to Mackey Arena. So, no, when I go to Bloomington, it's a long way away. I I don't know. if. If my team wasn't playing, I probably wouldn't go. Well, so. if, when Illinois gets back at it and gets, gets up there, really, it's going to be a competitive matchup and a, a rivalry matchup. You need to make the trip to Bloomington when IU and Illinois play. I got to cover one of those for Big Ten, and it was a lot of fun. And it, Illinois was pretty good that season, too. Gosh, that would have probably been like 2017. Yeah. I'm going to check the national rankings. I think you should have said when Indiana catches up to Illinois this year. <laughs> oh, there you I go. go. Okay, next up, Purdue center Zach Eady averages 22.3 points and 10.9 rebounds per game. Will he go over both of those totals tonight? Uh, I'm going to say yeah, I think so. He's been – he's so good and he's so hard to match up against. And, I mean, my gosh, he's – Coming off what was at Penn State just a, about a week ago or a few days ago, 30 points and 20 rebounds in that game. That was incredible. He's last year's player of the year. He's just such a beast out there. And, uh, yeah, I think I think he could – I mean, IU, again, Assembly Hall is so hard to play in. They're going to play them tough, but I, I think he's going he's gonna to do what he does, and I, I think he's going to be a difference maker for them. He will go over both of those marks. And at least seven or eight times in the game, he'll be in the lane for over five seconds and it won't be called. <laughs> it's frustrating because he's impossible to defend. And if the officials are going to let him camp in the lane sure. for four or five, there was an eight second sequence in the Illinois game at Mackey a, a couple of weeks. I mean, what can you do? 
makes it very, very difficult. But if you get away with it, I guess it's not a violation. But, yep, is going to go over both of those marks tonight. All right, question four of five of the Purdue-Indiana game. Who will be the leading scorer for Purdue? And then we'll go to Indiana. Well, I'm going with Zach. I think he'll be the leading scorer. And uh, for Indiana, it's going to be who steps up for them. But I guess I would have to go with uh, Malik. Is it Renault? R-E-N-E-A-U. Um, he's been just playing really well. He's averaging 16 points a game. And uh, I think th- th- he's you know one of the, the main guys that they're going to be counting on to have a good game tonight. I'm just going to throw a dart at the dartboard blindfolded. And because he shoots 46% from three, mm. I'm hoping he has a magical night tonight. I'm going to go with Xavier Johnson. Okay. As a wild card for Indiana. And I'll go with Mr. Edie for the Boilermakers. Finally, score prediction for Purdue and Indiana tonight. Ooh, I didn't write this one down. Let's see. I'm going to say, how close do we want it to be? (laughs) I think we'll go 82-78. Purdue gets it done. Okay. I'm going to go 81-70 Purdue. Oh, okay. They're going to cover the spread. All right, so Indiana and Purdue is on Peacock tonight, by the way, too. I have well, I know. I thought that was very interesting. Peacock is killing us, right? They're but they're trying to get people in. Uh, I want to throw this out to you. Is it always has felt like Indiana IU was Indiana's team, right? The state of Indiana, and is Purdue sort of taking over that spot now in the state of Indiana? I'm gonna say no. Until the Boilermakers win a national championship, I don't think we could even start that conversation. Even though Purdue has been the much better team the last 10 years, and I was having a conversation with Eric Hansen the other day, who covered Indiana for many, many years, and Bob Knight, I just don't think Indiana's a blue blood program anymore. No. Unfortunately, I don't think so either, and I think that they, uh, kind of like Notre Dame got the knock for a while, that they've been living off of that history for so long, and they want to throw it back and remind everybody of how good they were, but that's none of these kids in the, the modern era have really seen IU be that program in their lifetime. So you, they've. I think they really need to start stepping up. And I mean, Purdue is killing them in recruiting. Matt Painter's been so good, and and they're going after guys that IU isn't even bothering with within just the state of Indiana. I just read somewhere, um, who's the kid? Uh, he's a starter for them right now. Uh, Indiana Gatorade Player of the Year, Fletcher Lawyer. Yep. And IU didn't even offer him, didn't even go after him at all. And, and he's one of the Indiana guys that's starting for the Purdue Boilermakers right now. Mm. He was one of those guys that I don't think many schools recruited that hard. True. It was just, to I don't know. I, I don't know. It w- he was just one of those guys. And Illinois got a guy from Fort Wayne and Luke Goody, who's shooting well over 40% from the three-point line. Seven points, four or five rebounds a ball game, you know, a six six guard. That would be a useful player with Indiana struggling from the three point line. But I think they just throw a wider net out looking for the elite talent all across the country when sometimes getting those glue guys mm-hmm. that are in your state might be helpful. I you know, Galloway's a guy I've never been enamored with him. I think he's extremely Inconsistent. I think he'd be a really good sixth man or seventh man, a starter in Indiana. But I'd love to have him coming off the bench. He'd be a great spark guy, but 
you know, he's he's actually shooting 47% from the field, but 26% from three and 47% from the free throw line. You know what I didn't realize is that his dad played at Bethel College. I didn't know that. Yes, and and uh, I, I ran into Mike Lightfoot. I was down at, at West Lafayette a couple weeks ago, and I ran into Lightfoot there of all places. I love him, by the way, and and he was telling me that. Oh, he, I was like, yeah, I saw that Trey Galloway's uh, dad played for you. He was, oh, he's like a son to me, you know, <laughs> yeah. Mike is. And I think he even said that they still live in the area, but that Trey, of course, went to Culver Academy. But I, I just, I, all of that local connection I thought was really yep. cool. And a total side note, he said – that Trey now still whatever year he is at IU right now he doesn't have a driver's license still he never got a driver's license but he got a car deal with one of the local car dealerships so he called his parents and said hey I think I need to finally learn how to drive and get my driver's license that's so different nowadays like when we were kids I couldn't wait to get my driver's license and people now they wait till 18 20 whatever All right, Allison Hayes from ABC 57. I'm Darren Pritchett. Hopefully you have Peacock. I know the NFL ratings, the ratings were sky high except for the Peacock game, well below everybody else. I just love the fact NBC, be a part of the exclusive, the history of the first ever streaming game. It's not historic. Right. It's not. It's it's a way for you to get more subscribers and good for you, but – the NFL lost a lot of money, $23 million compared to 40 and $35 million in other games. Make sure you grow the game. Not everybody's going to buy every single subscription. So, do you know what? It's going to be the norm going forward. And so, Indiana-Purdue, a traditional rivalry game, is on Peacock tonight. 544 at WSBT. at WSBT. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. I'm Darren Pritchett, my co-host this hour, ABC 57's Allison Hayes, talking about Indiana and Purdue playing tonight down at the Assembly Hall. You mentioned you were on the Big Ten Network as a sideline reporter for football and basketball games. Just from a basketball standpoint, we always hear college basketball analysts talk about the Big Ten Conference has some of the more difficult venues to win in. They're just stressful places to go into. I kind of always reference the Big East when Notre Dame was in it. There weren't places like scared the daylights out of you that it was going to be overwhelming. Now, the teams might have been really, really good, but the atmospheres were like in NBA arenas, it always felt like. So from the ones that you were able to go to, Allison, what stands out to you as some of the more difficult places for teams to go in and try to pick up a victory in Big Ten play. Definitely. I mean, and I was saying I was very much on the IU beat. So the majority of games I got to cover were um, at Assembly Hall. But between and that one, hands down, the best to me in the Big Ten and really one of the best in in the entire country. But also um, Iowa was another one that just had that old school feel. And and, uh, it felt like everyone was sort of on top of you. Mackey's great. Um, East Lansing, going to Michigan State, that's a cool venue. The The floor is so cool looking. But it, I just went there this past season for the high school state championship games, and uh, it, it is – they're in need of a, a revamp. It's, it's – you know, it's cool and you want to have that history, but you also kind of need to stay up with the times and, and stay modernized. And it just feels a little – 
outdated. So I think they need to kind of step it up a little bit. Um, I've been inside Chrysler, but I never got to do a game there. But so of all the ones that I've done, and especially regularly, Assembly Hall is just a place of its own. And it's just one of those special places, not only in the state of Indiana, but really in college basketball and and just a sporting event. Even if you're not a huge basketball fan, it's just one of those places, like if you're a a sports fan and you love, you know, that kind of thing, you should definitely put that on that bucket list and and make your way there just to be able to say you did it and to experience it because it is a throwback. It is a, a you it just is it's hard to explain it, but it's so loud and intense and on top of you and it's it's just awesome. Assembly Hall at Indiana, Mackey at Purdue, Breslin Center, Michigan State, State Farm Center at Illinois. Those are places always that You have a tough time walking out with a victory. The Kohl Center, since Wisconsin got really good, it's not like it's an intimidating place. They're just very difficult to beat. I just got back from Columbus, Value City Arena, inside the Schottenheimer Center. When they have the upper deck open, it is a massive arena. looks like an NBA arena, but it doesn't have a mystique to it. It just feels so large. Yes. It doesn't have that specialness to Mm -mm. it. It's It's nice, but it's just not special. I think if Minnesota ever got good, the barn with the floor that is raised and you got the fans on top of the floor, it could be a really good home court advantage, but just Minnesota has not been Mm. good for a long, long time. It's always tough for the Boilermakers to go to the Assembly Hall. We'll see if they can pick up a victory tonight as the number three team in the country. Very quietly, both teams are 4-2 and in the Big Ten. If the Boilermakers lose... They'd be three games out of first place in the loss column with Wisconsin still unbeaten so far in conference play. You would have to imagine Purdue is the biggest lock to win a regular season conference title of all the major conferences. But right now, Wisconsin's kind of giggling like, hey, we're, we're kind of back. We are pretty good this year. And if the Boilermakers lose... It's going to be tough for them to win the regular season title. I know, as good as they are as a, of a team and, and in the big picture in the AP uh, Top 25, and then here they are 4-2 and two in the conference. Yeah. And that tells you, though, I mean, Big Ten may or may not be as strong in football, but they're pretty competitive yeah. this season in basketball. They don't have the elite high-end teams outside of Purdue this year, but there's a lot of second place through eight place where I think anybody Parody. can beat anybody. All right, we'll take a quick timeout. Twitter question of the day coming up next on WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Allison Hayes from ABC 57 alongside me, Darren Pritchett. Sports Beat continues with our Twitter question of the day from yesterday. I stress this is a total hypothetical. Hypothetically, if Irish quarterback Riley Leonard was in the 2024 NFL Draft along with Michigan's J.J. McCarthy, who announced he is in, and Sam Hartman of Notre Dame, and if your NFL team had to draft one of them, had to, who would you choose? Leonard, McCarthy, or Hartman? Before I give the results... Allison, is this a trick question? <laughs> I was just curious to see how how much Irish fans thought of Riley Leonard. Yeah, if he would win this, because you kind of know who Sam Hartman is now, and I think people have kind of soured on his future. So it basically came down to the the guy at Michigan who handled the ball awful lot, McCarthy, and the new guy, Riley Leonard. 
I'm still taking J.J. McCarthy all day. I it just He's proven we know what he can do. We know he's a good leader. We know, I mean, granted, he handed the ball off quite a bit. But we don't know how good of a passer yeah. Riley Leonard is going to be. And that's kind of been the knock on him anyway. So I'm, I'm taking J.J. Here are the results. Coming in third place, 15.8%, Sam Hartman. Hmm. That might have been different. This time last year. Uh huh. Oh, yeah, for sure. Second place in the voting, 38% went with Riley Leonard. Okay. And winning the vote, 46.2%, Michigan's J.J. McCarthy. I'm actually kind of surprised that Sam, did you say 15%? Mm -hmm. That's kind of more than I was expecting. Agreed. I would have picked McCarthy as well. All right, my Twitter X account is 960 Sportsbeat. Here is today's question. Notre Dame has faced quarterback DJ Uli Ungulale. Wow, I got it, I think. You nailed it. Whew. I've been sweating all day. <laughs> Twice while he was at Clemson. After a year at Oregon State, the Irish now will face DJU again in 2024. He's going to be Florida State's quarterback. So from an Irish standpoint, do you consider DJU a dangerous quarterback to face? And let me give you some stats. In his two games against Notre Dame, DJU is 56 of 84, 630 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. So is DJ a dangerous quarterback to face from a Notre Dame standpoint? The answers are simple, yes or no. I still say yes. I don't know that I would say he is in general, overall, going to be one of the best elite quarterbacks in college football. But I think he's got the familiarity. He's played at Notre Dame Stadium already once, so he knows what to expect there. And he's going to be with a new team with Florida State. If he's got the pieces around him and he's got that experience, yes, I think that he could be very dangerous coming here. Okay, we'd love for you to vote. Check out my poll at 960 Sportsbeat. On Twitter X, Uwe Ungalale. Nailed it. Can you imagine saying that three times in a row for $100? No <laughs> chance. Once you get it down, you you got it. Like I, I tried like crazy to learn that name, and I finally got it. Now I just I want to say it so I can show off that I say it so well. The closest I have in Irish hockey is Master Domenico. Ooh. And it used to be pronounced differently. Then I had to change on the fly, and that gets in your head. Uh-huh. So I had a piece of paper reminding myself it's Mastro Domenico, not Domenico. Oh, it gives me headaches. But as long as they're not Russian names, I don't care. Bring it on. That's how I am with Polish last names. And locally, <laughs> I, it's like I get dyslexia when I see them on the paper. I just can't do it. I used to have to deal with French names in hockey sometimes. Ooh. From Quebec à Montréal. Okay, Allison, what's coming up on ABC 57 or the CW or whatever direction you want to go? We got a little bit of a break. So we uh, won't be back in action for another tip-off show until February 10th. And that's going to lead us right into uh, the Notre Dame men's game that day on the CW25. A story I am working on, though, uh, which you might appreciate, is on one of the five walk-ons, Raheem Brayton. He is a Mishawaka kid. He was not a star at Mishawaka, mm-hmm. and but he... He just came to Notre Dame. He got into Notre Dame as a student, and he went from a practice player with the women's team to a practice player with the men to a team manager, and then with Coach Shrewsbury coming in and needing to fill some spots, he picked him up. He, He tried out. He said there were 20 kids that tried out 
for the walk-on spots, and he was one of the guys that earned it. How about that? Man, and is he just a great kid? He's pre-med at Notre Dame, and he's a walk-on on the basketball team. He's the nicest guy you ever met, and he's living out his dream. And he said he actually, he's going to shop himself around to see if he might be able to use a year of eligibility he's got left and, and pick up on another team Just before med school. Got Marcus on the basketball team, Justin Fisher on the football team, representing the Cavemen at the University of Notre Dame. Allison, good to be with you on this Tuesday. We'll do it again next week, and then I guess in two weeks you won't be here. You're going to be a long way away. I will be in Jamaica, so see ya. All right. Allison, thank you. That's Allison Hayes from ABC 57. I'm Darren Pritchett. We'll talk to Mark Haley of the South Bend Cubs coming up. Mike Singer talks Notre Dame football recruiting and some sports wagering talk at the end of the hour here on WSBT. Hey, everyone. Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous spicy range rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 